Just a um, brief update before we dive into our text. This morning, this past week, I was out in Memphis, Tennessee at our General Assembly, our denomination's annual gathering. So we are a church in the Presbyterian Church of America, and once a year we get together for a General Assembly where we discuss and debate issues and decisions facing our church. Um, I don't love eight, nine-hour days uh, discussing and debating, especially um, when uh, people are not content that everything's been said, uh, that they still need to say it themselves, you know, those kinds of meetings. But what I am thankful for is that we're not alone as a church, uh, that we are a part of a broader body that helps us not uh, be adrift or move in the wrong direction, that keeps us accountable and supports us. Uh, some of you might know it's the 50th anniversary of our denomination, and so we were thankful to celebrate that. And uh, while we were together, we remembered that um, one of the distinctives, one of the foundational truths that our denomination clings to is that this book, that the Bible, is the authoritative Word of God. And it leads and guides and directs our, our lives and, and the work that God's called us to. So it was a great time out at Memphis. I am going to pray for us, and then we'll dive into our text. If you have more questions about the General Assembly, I am happy to chat to you about those. Pray with me. Mighty and merciful Father, we pray in this moment you would silence any voices but your own so that we might hear your word, that we pray you would give us humble and teachable and obedient hearts, that we might um, receive what you reveal and obey what you command. We ask that by your spirit and for your glory, you would help us to see Jesus this morning. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Nicole read our psalm, Psalm 131, and you heard there in verse 2, David make a claim. He says this, I have, a calmed, uh, I have calmed and quieted my soul. Calmed and quieted my soul. Uh, when I read that this week, I wondered, a calm and quieted soul. Is that even possible in the world that we live in today? Is that even possible in the city? Like in Washington, D.C., can you have a calmed and quieted soul? Um, if you're trying to live life inside the beltway, if you're trying to navigate the halls of the Pentagon with all the division and tension and tribalism, like, can you really have a calm and quieted soul? Uh, maybe you're here this morning and you are the parent of an infant or toddler. Can you really have a calm and quieted soul? Like if you've got a toddler, it might be, have been months since you've had calmness or quietness. Maybe you have a teenager or maybe... Maybe you are a teenager. Maybe you're a middle school student, you're a high school student. And like, how can I be calm when I'm worried about like what everyone else is thinking about me? Or if I'm gonna mess up all this stuff on my school or my team, how can I have calmness or quietness? A calm and quieted soul, maybe your marriage or the marriage of someone you love is falling apart. How in the world do you have a calm and quieted soul in that? Um, Maybe disease or sickness has assaulted the notion you had of how your life was supposed to go, like how your story was going to be. How do you have a calm and quieted soul? Uh, there was a well-known preacher, pastor, 19th century, a guy named Charles Spurgeon, and he said this about Psalm 131. He said, it's one of the shortest psalms to read, 
but one of the hardest psalms to learn. One of the shortest ones to lead, one of the hardest read, one of the hardest ones to learn. So what do we have to learn here this morning in Psalm 131? In Psalm 131, we see really two paths to, to arrive at this contentment, two paths to have a calm and quieted soul. Path number one is trying to be God. And path number two is trusting in God. So this morning, we're going to look at those two paths. The path that David starts on, really the path that all of us start on, and that's trying to be God. And then path number two, trusting God. And then we'll finish up by looking at a way forward. So trying to be God. Let, let's start with there. Do the people of Fairfax, do the people of Washington, D.C. have a God complex? Yes. Uh, and here's, here's how I know this. I've used this illustration before, and I really go back to check every year to see if it's still true. Check this year. It is true. Nielsen's ratings, all right? Nielsen's ratings rank radio stations in every major metropolitan area, all right? So when you look at other major metropolitan areas in our country, when you look at what they're listening to on the radio, guess what they're listening to? Music, all right? When you look at the D.C. market, do you think we're listening to music? No. We're listening to news. Our, not just our top, but our top two, right? WAMU and WTOP. Okay, other people get in the car, they listen to Morgan Wallen or Toby Mac or Lionel Richie, all right? DC people get in the car and they tune that dial because they need to know everything that's going on. They need to know anything that might interrupt their day. Traffic and weather on the eights, right? We are trying to organize everything. Do we have a God complex? Look what David says. In verse one, David gives this threefold negative declaration. He says like, my heart's not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high and I am not preoccupied with things too great for me. Basically, he's saying, I have learned humility. I have humbled myself. And the reason he feels the need to make that declaration is because of this. That's not our default setting. That's not how our wiring works when left to ourselves. He's declaring it because it's not natural for him. It took work. Something happened to change him to be able to do this. That's why he says, hey, something's happened. And now I've learned not to lift my head up. I've learned not to undervalue others or overestimate myself. That's what David's getting at in these um, initial uh, declarations here. This problem with pride, it's been there from day one. Sometimes I'll run across people and their, their objection to Christianity or some of the issues they have with Christianity, they'll say, hey, there's just too many rules. Like all these rules that go along, like that's just, uh, it's too much. Well, the story of Christianity starts in Genesis. And in Genesis chapter three, there was one rule, just one rule. And that proved to be too much. One rule is too much for us. All right. Just don't eat of that tree of good and evil, the knowledge of good and evil. That was the one rule. You could go and do anything else. Enjoy all of creation. Adam and Eve, enjoy each other. One rule proved to be too much. And when it came to tempting Adam and Eve and the evil one comes, do you remember the logic that he uses? Remember, we're talking about uh, the temptation to try and be God, to find contentment by trying to be God. Listen to the logic that, that the, uh, Satan tries to use with Adam and Eve. He says, you know what? Um, here's why God doesn't want you to, to eat that uh, from the tree of good and evil. God knows 
that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. You see that? Trying to be like God. That's been our problem from day one. And that's, that logic is the opposite of the logic of Psalm 131, the humility. But you know what? Adam and Eve hear the logic of the evil one and they say, you know, that sounds right. You know, like we are pretty awesome. And why shouldn't we be happy? Why in the world would God keep this from us? We're just going to do our own thing. We know what's best. And in their pride, they decide to disobey God. They decide to not trust their creator. And did it bring contentment? Like, did it calm their soul? Did it, did it quiet their soul? No, because you see right there, right when they decided to try and be God, what entered in? Things that had never been there before. Shame, hiding, fear, blaming and justifying. All those entered in when they tried to be God. You see, the, the lie that is underneath every other lie that we believe is that we, we can be God, we should be God, we know what's best. And honestly, it's in the air that we breathe. It's, it's interesting. There's a philosopher, uh, Bertrand Russell, not a believer, an atheist philosopher. Bertrand Russell in Genesis chapter 3, they actually line up, right? And Bertrand Russell, he almost gets it right. Listen to what he says. Everyone would like to be God if possible. And most of us have a hard time denying that possibility. Here's why I say almost, because the truth is all of us have a hard time denying that possibility. We would like to be God. It's in the air we breathe. It's in most of the Disney songs that we sing, right? Just follow your heart. Do what, I'll read you some lyrics, all right? Name that tune. It, it's time to see what I can do to test the limits and break through. No right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free. Let it go. I'm not going to stop there. All right. But uh, like that's uh, no, no wrong, no right, no rules for me. I'm free. I know what's best. All right. And it's not just Frozen. It's all the songs in Disney and many of the other songs that we sing. It's the dominant story of our culture. You can be happy. You can find peace and be content if you just follow your heart and chase your dreams. If you just kind of shrug off any authority, religious authority, familiar authority familial authority, the authority of, of nature or biology, just define for yourself your own image. Be your own God. And let me ask this. With all the advancement in our culture and in our society, and with this adoption of this mindset, has it led to peace and contentment? Has it led to calm and quieted souls? Um, let's see a few things. Um, life expectancy in our country is actually going down now. And deaths of despair are going up. Among our teenagers, mental health struggles are at record highs. We're not finding the quietness, calmness, and contentment that we're looking for by adopting 
trying to be God. Because the challenge is um, we're, we're frantically pacing around really just trying to maintain these identities that we've adopted and finding out really how fickle they are, how fickle the peace that comes with them really is. And so that's the path that we're all on or that we've all been on, trying to be God. Lifting our hearts and our eyes up, trying to occupy ourselves with things that are really too great for us. So what does it look like to trust God? What does it look like to move to trust in God? I want you to consider the imagery here. One image that's not all that evident on the surface, all right? When David talks about occupying himself with things too great, the image or the picture, really the, the literal Hebrew behind that, occupy myself, it talks about um, pacing or stirring up, right? Like I don't pace... And, and you know that, right? Like when you're trying to run the world, you know some of that, like maybe some of you literally are pacing around because all this is going on and I've got to fix all this. And I, or maybe it's just an internal posture of pacing and stirring up. Uh, David said, I've learned not to do that. That's the imagery of trying to be God. Um, the imagery of trusting in God is a weaned child. Gotta be honest, it was a little hard to wrap my head around that this week, all right? Because when I think of David, King David, uh, I think of a mighty king. I think of a dude that killed animals with his bare hands. I think of uh, a giant slayer. Like if I were to survey, if you know the Old Testament, I say, give me three, three words or three phrases for King David. I would imagine zero of you would go, oh, weaned child. All right, um, so what's going on here? Like what's behind this language? Let's, let's make sure we, uh, we understand it. We're talking about little child, children. So a lot of you should get this pretty quickly because the way, uh, near as I can tell, we have a new baby born here every 4.5 days, all right? <laughs> it, was, it was the Braddy's turn this week. I'm sure next week someone else. But he's using the language of infants and children and he's saying this. Um, children uh, that have been weaned no longer um, require their mother's milk. All right? So this, a child that hasn't been weaned could be crying out for their mom, but uh, oftentimes they're not just crying out for their mom, they're crying out for what they can get from their mom. All right? Doubt you thought you were going to be talking about this when you came to church this morning. All right? But this is where we're at. Um, a weaned child, when, when they cry out for their mom, they're just wanting to be with their mom for who she is and, when, and, and, and enjoy that presence. So David is saying this. Here, here's the posture of my soul. I'm not going to God for what I can get from him. I'm just going to be with him. I've learned that contentment and quietness is in the presence of my God. Sure, I've been blessed by him, but I've learned uh, that the giver is far superior to the gifts. I've learned what it means to be thankful that I have a relationship, that I am in the presence of the giver. Um, and here's one of the challenges in this psalm for us. It, it comes in this implication. Um, there is a weaning process, right? And if, again, um, if you're a parent, you know that this can be a difficult process. And when he, David is speaking spiritually, he's saying there's this process where I've had to learn uh, to be content with God and I've been weaned off those other things I've been trying to find life or peace or calmness or contentment in. Um, where I functionally put my trust and hope in, 
I don't know what it is for you. Maybe it's your kids' lives going perfectly. Maybe it's making the basketball team. Um, maybe it's uh, owning certain possessions. Maybe it's a perfect health uh, record. Whatever it is, David's saying, I've had to learn not to find my contentment and calmness in those things. I've been weaned off of that, and I'm finding it in God. So he says that. He says he, God has cared for him and provided for him. And then he ends in verse 3. He says, Israel, hope in the Lord. Because as long as you're trying to find your contentment by dialing in your circumstances just right, it's not going to be a very lasting contentment. He says, hope in the Lord. That's the only place you are going to find true calmness and true contentment is in a relationship with your creator. And um, let's, let's make sure we understand this word hope, right? This isn't like, I hope, like I wish, or I prefer, like, I hope that uh, the steak turns out good at the Father's Day cookout today, or I hope that the sermon is short so we can get there soon. Like, it's not that kind of hope, all right? Um, no, this is parachute hope parachute hope, right? Like uh, one summer in college, me and some guys were in South Africa and we found a good deal on skydiving, right? That's what you're looking for when you're going skydiving, right? A bargain. Uh, and so, uh, so we went skydiving, right? And when you jump out of the plane, you hope that the parachute opens because if the parachute doesn't open, it's over. You're dead, you're finished. That's the kind of hope we're speaking of here, as in hope in the Lord, because apart from him, you're finished. Apart from him, it's over. Apart from him, you don't have anything that will last or steady your soul. Hope in the Lord. Hope in the Lord, because you know why? Um, we still struggle with pride. I still struggle with pride. I'm going to go home this afternoon after preaching a sermon on the harmful effects of pride, and I'm going to be tempted to care what you thought about it, right? I, and so I need to, and maybe you wish I was more holy than that. I wish I was more holy than that, but my hope is not in my holiness. My hope is in the Lord. Um, think about this. Um, we, we talked about our, our problem with this comes from Adam, right? He, his pride messed us up. Our nature has now become those that try to be God instead of those that trust God. And then we're reading a Psalm from David. And if uh, we know David's story, he apparently was in a healthy whole place when he wrote this, but that wasn't his whole story. Think about when David tried to be God numerous times, like he took another man's wife and then he took his life. Trying to be God, trying to control things. Um, Adam failed, David failed, you and I fail. Our hope is the reality that God sent his son, Jesus, to succeed where we failed. That's our hope. That's what we hope in today. That Jesus, you want to talk about humility? Jesus, though he was God, co-creator of all things, came as an infant and lived a perfect life. And then he went to the cross and took our, the, the penalty for our pride and he gave us the credit for his humility. That's the hope of the Christian. That's your hope and my hope. That's the Christian message. That's why we trust in God. 
because Jesus has made a way for us to be his child. The kind of child that David talks about here, a weaned child. And if you were going to find this contentment and calm and quiet soul, it means learning to live like this, to live as a child. And again, for DC people, that's really hard to do. Some of us let our uh, net worth lead us to believe that we're sufficient. Like, uh, uh, it doesn't matter if your net worth is $2 million, you, you're still a child. Maybe you're here this morning and you're a grandmother. You're still a child. Right? Maybe you're here this morning and you've got top-level security clearance. You need to realize you are still a child. And your hope for having a calm and quiet soul is living as a child. And the only reason you can live as a child is because Christ came and made you God's son or daughter by the life and death that he lived. So trying to be God, trusting in God, let's, let's look at a way forward. All right, just kind of as we apply this, 2023, Fairfax, Virginia, how do we apply this? If you read and look in your Bible, you see the title, Psalm 131. And then under that, you see this phrase, a psalm of ascent. A psalm of ascent. What's going on there? Think about pilgrimages. All right, I would imagine, like in, in, in many of your lives, pilgrimages have not been a big part of your religious experience. In fact, we kind of use the word pilgrimage like, oh, I'm going to go to somewhere that's important to me or I like or is a big deal. I'm going to make a pilgrimage, uh, you know, to the Smith Center down in Chapel Hill, North Carolina to see the Tar Hill plays. Like that's the way we use the term pilgrimage. Um, But in Israel's life, in Israel's religious life, uh, the, they had regular pilgrimages, right? They, they had the Feast of Booze or the Feast of Tabernacles. They had Pentecost. They had Passover. They had these feasts and celebrations. And every time that there was this celebration, three times a year, they had to go on a journey. They had to go to Jerusalem. And Jerusalem is the highest point in Palestine. So for every time they made that trip, they had these songs these Psalms of Ascent. We're going up to Jerusalem and we're going to sing these songs. We're going to sing these songs to God, but also we're going to let these songs do surgery on our soul. Because here's the thing. I wonder if we compared the time to how much we try to listen to our heart with how much we actually speak to our heart. I wonder what that would look like. These Psalms of Ascent were regular times for God's people to speak truth to their hearts. To not just be led by them, but to actually speak to them truths about who God is and what God's done and who they are in God. Because again, we live in this world that tells you to lead and uh, to, to follow your heart, to listen to your heart, when actually Psalms like this are meant to say, we need to speak to our hearts. I'll finish by saying this. You're not going to find a calm and quiet soul apart from doing this. Apart from stopping, so DC people, apart from stopping the pacing, uh, the frenetic life, and making time daily, weekly, seasonally, making time to speak to your heart, to hear God's word for your heart. If you don't have a plan for this, you are planning to fail and you are planning not to have what is offered to you in your creator. Contentment, calmness, quietness. 
These are songs. Psalm 131 is a song for sojourners and pilgrims. And I don't know where you are on your spiritual journey. Maybe you're just starting it. Maybe you're taking your first steps. Hear this morning that the hope for contentment is only found in a relationship with God. Maybe you've uh, been on this journey for a long time, but you've gotten busy and you've drifted away from stopping and just making time to hear from God, to hear his word. Families, it's really easy to be busy about a thousand good things. As a family, are we stopping to listen and to hear who God is and what he's done and celebrate that and remind ourselves of who we are in him? This week, let let me encourage you, don't try and be God, but trust God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you save us from ourselves, from all the times where we we try to manage our circumstances, try to manage other people. Um, Teach us to trust. For my friends here this morning, whatever they might be facing, save them uh, from the delusion of trying to, to be God and help them to trust you. Help them to see that you've provided your son So why would you hold back anything good from them? Um, And Father, even as they face difficulties, help them to know fully and finally in Christ and in eternity, all things will be made new. It's in his name we pray. Amen.